Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're continuing our series on Romans this morning, and so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Remember this, if you don't have a paper Bible, I'd love for you to have one. I think that's a significant tool for you to have, and so you don't have to go buy one. Just pick one up on the way out this morning. They're on the high top tables. Just be aware we have them in English and in Spanish, and then if you have that Romans chapter 9, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're new around here, we won't up, down, up, down the whole morning, uh, but we do it when we read our primary text. It's a symbolic thing for us. It's all it is. It's just symbolic where we say, hey, we acknowledge that this is God who is now speaking. So this is uh, Romans chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 30. And uh, Paul has been doing some serious explaining, and we're going to get into that. And then he says this in verse 30. So what does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, they never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that in this brief time, Father, you'd explain it to us. Holy Spirit, not just what does it mean, what does it mean to us? What do you have for us? What do you want from us? What do you want us to do with this word, God? Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. How many of you are just in general, just kind of in general, you're into really, you're into quotes. You like quotes. You appreciate a good quote. You like, yeah, I've, I'm somebody who just loves a good quote. I love quotes. And at all different phases in my life, I've, I've appreciated quotes. I, there's a quote that I, it's been one of my most absolute favorites in recent years, and it's a, it's a Mark Twain. You know, usually it's, it's Mark Twain, or it's Dr. King, or it's, it's Mother Teresa, right? Or it's somebody like this. And this was a Mark Twain quote. And Mark Twain once said, uh, when I was uh, 14, he said, my father was so ignorant I could barely stand to have him around. When I turned 21, I was amazed at how much he'd learned in seven years. That's one of my favorite quotes. And so I've loved quotes my whole life. When I was a kid, I've just always been. So I'm going to share some with you, some of, even as a kid, just famous quotes that I just think are, are powerful for our lives. Like this one. That's a powerful quote. Like as a kid, you remember this? You're not the boss of me. You'd always say that. Man, it is just so, I still, just so the, those of you who know, I still use this today. And usually at our house, the response is, actually, I am. That's the response that you get. So here's another one. Love this one. Love this one. Great quote. I know you are. What am I? You should just use that. Like today, when you lead church, just think about where could I effectively use this quote. Love this. Love this quote. And then here's, a, here's my final one I'll give you. And this is one we all use, and we still use it. We've been using it since we were little kids, and we always use this quote. Oh, yeah. Not fair. It's not fair. How many of you ever felt like that? Man, it's not fair. How many, who, who else went to Fred B. Moore Elementary School? A lot of you? Raise your hand. I see that. Hey, yes. Fred B. Moore Elementary. We were the Mustangs. When I was in fourth grade at Fred B. Moore Elementary School, I got kicked out of the cafeteria for the entire year. For the entire year, I got kicked out of the cafeteria. 
So I'm a fourth grader, you know this, minding my own business, you know that. And I don't know if your school is like this, but in our school, when you're, when you're done with lunch, you don't just leave. Did y'all have to do this? We have to raise our hand. Did you do that? So I raised my hand, and we have Miss Rayburn, we have all the other kids called her Radar. Radar walks over, because she had eyes in the back of her head. She knew everything that was going on. And so Radar walks over, and, and, she, and they do this, kind of like, you're sitting here, and she looks over there, and she sees food on the floor. And she said, oh, you're going to have to pick that up. And I said, well, that's not mine. And she said, oh, is this school yours? I said, well, not really. She said, well, is this cafeteria yours? I said, well, not really. And she said, oh, then you can find somewhere else to eat lunch this year. Boom, just like that. And I said, that's not fair. That's not fair. And then when I got back to my, my fourth grade room, how many of you had Mrs. Lewis? Yeah, and so Mrs. Lewis is my fourth grade teacher, and, and she calls me up and she says, Radar, Mrs. Rayburn says that she kicked you out of the cafeteria for the year. She said, what happened? And I told her in the whole, is this school years? Is this? I said, no, is this, is this cafeteria years? I said, no. And she said, well, you should know that. Your parents pay tax. Like, I know the tax structure as a fourth grader. <laughs> Like, I would understand that. And I said, but that's not fair. And then I went home, and I had to tell my mother. I said, Mom, Rader, Mrs. Rayburn kicked me out of the cafeteria for the whole year. She said, what do you mean? And I tell my mom the story, and the school's not mine, and the cafeteria's not mine. And now my mom's doing the math. And my mom's like, oh, snap. Like, he's going he's gonna to come home in the middle of the day every day, and I'm going to have to fix him lunch in the middle of the day every day. And I'm doing all my stuff, and I got to stop. And now my mom says, exactly, then my mom's saying it. That's not fair. And I think it's just one of those things, man. It's just perpetual. Like, we scream that all of our life. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And it's really interesting because in our passage today, listen to me, the Apostle Paul is going to deal with this. And here's what the Apostle Paul is going to deal with. Is God fair? Is God fair? Because how many people have ever felt like, man, you know what, God's not fair. That's not right, God's not fair. I'm telling you, man, when I was a kid, I went through about a two-year episode where I was just, just, just screaming mad at God, and I would shake my fist at God, and I would say, God, that's not fair. I'm a decent kid. I, mean, I don't get to eat in the cafeteria, but I'm a decent kid. I'm a good kid. My family goes to church. God, this is not fair. And some of you feel like that. You're feeling like that right now. You're feeling like, God, this is not fair. Listen, the Apostle Paul is going to deal with this issue today. Is God fair? Now, we read that passage, but I'm going to show you how Paul starts the chapter. Because Paul starts this chapter by, by telling you how he feels about Jews. Paul says, man, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, the Jewish people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. So much so, you have to remember this, Paul's not just a Jew. Paul Jew, grew up a Jew. Paul is a Pharisee. If you're, if you're newer to the Bible, the Pharisees are the Jewish religious officials, some of the Jewish religious officials, and they're the ones who make sure that people are living out. They're, they're trying to make sure people are living out Judaism. And he says, listen, I'd be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. My heart goes out to my Jewish people so much that my, I, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ forever if it would save some of them. And the implication is this, that some of the Jews aren't saved, meaning this, some of the Jewish people 
Listen, we say this word saved all the time. It means this. Some of the Jewish people aren't in right relationship with God. They're not right with God. They're not fully accepted by God. He's saying, even though they're Jews, and we kind of go, but wait, isn't that what it means to be a Jew? Isn't that what it means to be a Jew? Aren't you what have got right? And watch, because in verses four and five, if you were looking at your Bible, Paul's going to give the resume of the Jewish people. He tells us in chapter, verses four and five that they're God's chosen people. They were born Jews, they're God's chosen people, that they're adopted, that they were adopted as God's children, the Jews were, that God has revealed his glory to the Jewish people, that God's covenant, all of God's covenants, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, these are all covenants that were given specifically to the Jewish people, that all of God's laws, Moses at Mount Sinai received the Mosaic law that was given to the Jews, that they were given the privilege of temple worship, that the Jews, uh, from the Jews come all the patriarchs, the greatest names in our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, guess what? They're all Jews, and not only that, but Jacob then has 12 sons. One of his sons' name is Judah. Judah became the head of the tribe of Judah, and from the tribe of Judah came the Lion of Judah. Jesus himself is a Jew. Paul has given the resume, and yet Paul had just said, but some of them may not be saved. Some of them are unacceptable to God. Some of them aren't in right relationship with God. How is that even possible? And so then Paul goes on to raise this question. Well, then, if that's the case, if some of God's chosen people, his, his, his adopted people, if some of those people are not saved, if they're not right with God, then has God failed to fulfill his promise? Has God not even fulfilled the promise that he said he would? Well, Paul answers it really quick, and he says, no, 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 no. But here's where he starts getting this really interesting discussion. He says, for not all who were born into the nation, just because you're born a Jew, all those who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. And I'm reading that, I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't those the same thing? If you're born a Jew, doesn't that automatically mean you're one of his, the, the members of God's people? And so Paul says, being a descendant, and this is really interesting, so Paul's gonna give us a couple examples. He's gonna spell this out for us. Being descendants of Abraham, doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. And again, I'm, I'm scratching my head, like, aren't they the same thing? And he says, think about this, the scriptures say Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, but Abraham had other children too. Abraham had eight other children. Remember Isaac's brother, half-brother, Ishmael. Ishmael was born to Hagar, the handmaid of Sarai. He was actually the oldest son. How come his children aren't considered God's part of God's family. Why is that? He's making the point. Just being a descendant of Abraham doesn't make you a member of God's family. And then he goes on to say that this means that Abraham's physical descendants, those who are born that way, are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Here's what he's telling us in this brief when he's just saying, hey, your biology can't make you right with God. I don't care if you're born into a Jewish home. I don't care if you're born into a Christian home. I don't care if your grandpa was a pastor. I don't care if your grandpa was the greatest evangelist. I don't care if your grandma was the greatest missionary ever. Your biology can't make you right with God. It doesn't make you acceptable to God. And he's gonna further the argument by telling us this. Don't you remember? Then Isaac got married. Isaac married Rebecca. And they got pregnant. And they didn't just have one child. They were pregnant with two childs, right? And right before the child was born, it says this. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, they've had no chance to earn anything, they haven't done anything good or bad, 
She, as Rebecca here, she receives a message from God. What's the message? Oh, the message is interesting, that the oldest child is going to serve the youngest. Now, this is the ancient Near East. No, nowhere in ancient Near Eastern culture does that exist. The oldest child is always served by the youngest. What's going on here? And he says this, this message shows that God chooses people according to his purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. That it's not our good or bad works. And so here's what we know. Your biology can't make you right with God. Being born into the right family, born into the right, like that doesn't cut it. But also human effort. Human effort can't make you right with God. And it's a little backwards for us. Because we grew up in the American culture. And the American culture says, man, the producers, that's who eats. Right? You, you get there because you earned it. Right? And then he goes on. And he says, look, are you saying then that God was unfair? Oh, there it is. There's the question. Are you saying that God's unfair? Is that a possibility? That maybe God isn't really fair? And Paul's going to put that argument to rest, but he, he ultimately says, you see, this is what we want, is we want fair. And what I'm telling you this morning is you actually don't want fair. You, you, the last thing you want, the last thing I want is fair. Now, we think here it's such a virtue. It has to be fair. But fair means this, you get what you deserve. Now, how many people still want fair? <laughs> see, you get what you earn. You get what you deserve. I do not want fair. And so Paul's going to go on to dispel that. And Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, no, he says, God says, I'll show mercy to anyone. Does, does anyone deserve mercy? Not necessarily. But he says, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. And I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. Does anyone deserve compassion? Not necessarily. We don't necessarily want fair. We want life to be fair. We want it to be fair. But not really, not when it comes to God, because fair means you get what you deserve, right? And then Paul's going to lay out this whole argument. And the bottom line is Paul's just basically going to say this. That's, that's the explanation of Paul's argument. That God is a pot of you and I. Listen, turn to the person next to you and say this. You are a lump of clay. Go ahead. Turn to the person. You're a lump of clay. That's what we are. We're the lumps of, hey, some of you need to, not so aggressively, some of you, some of you are like, you're a lump. No, he's just saying this, this is his whole argument. You and I are lumps of clay, and God is the divine potter, and God decides, and God can take one lump of clay and he can make it into something beautiful, into a beautiful vase that's going to hold beautiful things, and he can take another one and he can turn it into a, a jar that's going to hold garbage. That's, that's God. God chooses to show compassion. God can choose to show mercy. And so Paul gets all done with this, and he gets all done, and then he asks the question that I was asking. Paul says, what does all this mean? Aren't we wondering that? What, what, what is he saying here? What does all this mean? Okay, Paul's going to get down to it, and he's going to explain it to maybe in, in terms that the rest of us can understand. He says this, even though the Gentiles, that's us, if you're a non-Jew, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. He says, even though the Gentiles were not trying, and I just want you to circle that word in your Bible, underline that word, highlight that word in your Bible, because this is the key word here. Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, God's laws, they were made right with God. They were made in right relationship with God. They were made acceptable to God, even though they weren't trying. And then he goes on and he says, and that was by faith. They weren't trying 
They were placing their faith. They were placing their trust. They weren't trying. That's what Paul's saying. And then he goes on, he says, but the people of Israel, the Jews, who tried, and I want you to circle that word, highlight that word, underline that word in your Bibles. They tried, and they didn't just try, they tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law. They never succeeded. And they didn't succeed specifically because they were trying. And he asked the question, well, why not? Why didn't they succeed? And then he's gonna answer it. It's because they were trying. It's because they were trying to do it all on human effort because they were counting on themselves, because they were believing in themselves, because they thought their efforts, they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting. See, trying says it's all on me. It's all on my skills. It's all on my education. It's all on my upbringing. It's all the house that I was born into. It's all about me, and it's about my efforts. And really, the way we're made right with God is by faith, by trusting in him. It says they stumbled over the great rock in the path. And so let's talk about this just for a minute, because here's what I believe this morning. I believe that there's some here who have never placed their trust in Christ. I believe you're here this morning. I believe there are people here you don't normally go to church. And I believe that you just came in this morning because the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. Now, you would have another reason for it. Somebody invited you or you, you just had this idea. But the Holy Spirit's been drawing you, and you've never placed your trust in Christ. But I also believe at the same time, there are a lot of folks in here who've been going to church for a long time, and you said, no, 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 no I've, I've placed my trust in Christ, and I did that a long time ago. I surrendered my life to Christ. I asked Christ into my life. I accepted Christ. You'll say it however you want to say it. But you're still trying. You say, no, 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 I've trusted. Right, but you're still trying. And so I want to talk just for a minute about what does trying actually look like, and it looks like a number of things. And so just, just take a little inventory, don't ask these questions for anybody else. Just ask these for yourself. Am I still trying? Because what trying oftentimes do, a sign of it is comparison. There'll be a lot of comparison. Well, I'm better than he is. I'm better than she is. I didn't do this terrible thing that she did. I didn't do it, right? Because we're comparing. Because we feel like, man, if, I, if I'm just a little bit better, if I try just a little bit harder, God will accept me. I'll be right with God. Comparison is one of them. Anger when God doesn't fill in the blank. There's this idea that, man, God didn't do this. And the reason we're so angry is because I've been doing this. I earned it. I deserve it. And so a lot of times when we're trying, we're still trying so hard, we're very angry with God when he doesn't do blank. Emphasis on, the, on following the rules. That's another major sign that we're still trying in the flesh. It's our effort. We're depending on our effort. Right? Now listen, I'm a rule follower. You might be a rule follower, but following the rules doesn't make me any more acceptable to God. There's a caveat there, and I'll get to that in a minute. But just, just man, I gotta follow the rules. Because if I follow the rules, God will like me. No, that, that, that's not why God accepts you. It's not why God loves you. Uh, a lot of times, if we're still trying, this is a big word in our vocabulary. Should. Well, yeah, I should. I don't really want to, but I should. Man, if you live in the world of should, it might, be, it might be just a sign to you that you're still really trying hard, that you're trying to earn God's approval. There's oftentimes recurring regret over the past, and I'll tell you why. Because you keep looking back to your past thinking, but God's still gonna look at that, and God's still not gonna approve of me, and maybe God won't like me because of what I did. No, that's trying. Trusting says I believe that God's forgiven me. I, I've received his forgiveness. 
right? Self-promotion. Check me out. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Because you look at me. If you look at me, if I can get you to look at me, God will see me. God will approve of me. Right? And right along with that is the need to be noticed. It's the need to be noticed. Because again, if everybody notices me, maybe God is noticing me. Maybe God will be happy with me. Maybe God will accept me. Maybe I'll be right with God. And then the last one, and I see this a lot of times, there's a self-righteousness. There's a self-righteousness. Because again, it's part of comparison. Well, I'm really good. Well, I'm doing this. Well, you'd never catch me doing that or saying that or thinking that. Now, in full disclosure, you know, usually what happens is you marinate over a sermon and you work on it for about three weeks, right? And it's in that... I checked almost every box. There's a lot of that in me. I'm just telling you, I was just strongly convicted. There's a lot of that in me where I want to try. And so if you say, ooh, man, a lot, yeah, you're not alone. It's human. Listen, we live in an American culture that says you, you got it. I mean, I, I always say that, the old commercial, or the old commercial, and some of you are old enough to, to remember this. E.F. Hutton, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Or I guess the way he says it in the commercials, we earn it. <laughs> right? And you just think that's so admirable that you should earn it. But what the Bible says actually is that trying is not the way that we get to God. It's not the way that we're made right with God. Not by trying harder. Not by following the rules. He just went through that with us. It's not by trying the answer he said for the Gentiles was by faith. In other words, they were trusting. Again, faith is the Greek word pistis, and it's very oftentimes translated as faith, but just as often it's translated as trusting. Trusting. And so trusting has its own look. And I've used this illustration a bazillion times, but I'll always use this illustration because it, it speaks so powerfully to me. This is a French guy and his American name that he accepted was uh, Charles Bolden. Charles Bolden is what he was known as here when he came to the States, and he's a tightrope walker, and he's a really famous tightrope walker, right? And he would string cable up in New York City between skyscrapers, and here, this was his big famous one, is that he stretched this cable over Niagara Falls, and he'd walk across Niagara Falls. And he did it all the time. Like he did it like this, just with his pole. Uh, he did it one time where he sat down with a small frying pan and cooked an egg and ate it on the wire. He's gone across with a burlap bag over his head. He's done it where he's had other people on his back and he's walked across. And then he has a famous episode where he pushes a wheelbarrow across. And the people go crazy every time. The people go crazy. This guy's like, you know, he's got the wheelbarrow, and the people just cheer, and they go nuts. And they, he goes, how many think I can do it again? Everybody cheers, yes, yes, yes. How many think I can do it with a human being in the wheelbarrow? Yes, yes, yes. Who wants to get in? <laughs> how many of you know there's a big difference between believing and trusting? Okay, listen to me. The Christian faith is about trust. It means this. It means you get in the wheelbarrow. Here's the challenge for us as Americans. Quite honestly, you just don't have to trust that much. We're pretty comfortable. Thank God. But really, do we? Because we're so comfortable, we don't have to trust. Like, when was the last time we ever did anything? We're like, ooh, 
That's gonna take some trust. Because you can play it safe in this country and be okay. Not as a follower of Jesus. How many of you know that being an American and following Jesus, I don't know how to explain this. They're, they're actually not the same thing. Right? You can't follow Jesus if you're not willing to get in the wheelbarrow. And I get it because I'm the biggest, oh man, it just makes me so nervous. I live a comfy, I, I live a comfy life. I live a comfy life. And, and the caveat I was saying is it's not, it's not that we don't try, it's not that we're not making effort. Because following Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life and you've never really made a decision to follow Jesus, following Jesus doesn't mean just go, okay, Jesus, I trust you, and then just sit there and do nothing. No, that, that's not it either. That's not it either. Trying says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. See, when we're trying, that's what we do. We say, I obey, therefore God accepts me. No, 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 trusting says, I'm accepted. Therefore, I just want to obey. I want to please the master. I want to please the king. I want to, I want to display that. This is out of love. I do this out of love. And so, man, there's this, there's this wrestling between trying and trusting. And I feel it. I feel it. And again, I checked a lot of the boxes, man. There's a lot of trying in me. There's a lot of effort. There's a lot of self-righteousness. There's a lot of even risk aversion, you know? So here's your big so what today. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. Trusting accomplishes what trying never will. It can't. Trying can't accomplish that. You can't get right with God. And listen, I know this. I know that some of you, you you're feeling it. You're feeling that tension. You're just like, man, why, why do I never seem to be right with God? I just never feel like I can please God. I never feel, and, and you're trying so hard. You really are. You're making such great effort. But it's not how we get right with God. It's just not. Trying harder is not the answer. The answer is when you quit trying and you just trust. You say, okay, I'm in the wheelbarrow. I'm in. I, I, I'm down with whatever you have, God, whatever call you have on my life, I'll do it. I'll just flat out do it. You want me to go? You want me to stay? You want me to say something? You want me to not say something? You want me to speak up? No speak up? Like, that, that's it. What, God, you want me to do what with my money? What? You, you want me to take a job where? You want me to quit my job and do what? That's life in the wheelbarrow. That's how you get right with God. That's how you become acceptable to God. That's how you come into right relationship with God. Trusting, trusting will accomplish what trying can't possibly accomplish. It never can and it never will. And I think some of you, to be honest, some of you are feeling that. You're feeling that tension. You've never accepted Christ. You've never been willing to say, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. You, you, you've never done it. It's a big step. It's not a small step. It's a big step. It's a giant step. But I'm telling you, that's how we get right with God. That's how we experience peace in our lives. Some of you, you've been following Jesus a long time, and you had the realization that I have, that I've had over the last three weeks, and that's like, oh man, there's still a lot of trying going on. There's still a lot of trying. I'm still squeezing out the effort. I'm still hoping that God is gonna like me because of what I do, because of how I do it, because I'm better than the next person, right? Trusting, 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 get in the wheelbarrow. That accomplishes what trying never can. 